welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is frank ralph from mobile home university welcome frank hey thank you thanks for having me yeah thanks for being on the show frank a little bit about frank frank ralph has been an investor in mobile home parks for almost 30 years and has owned and operated hundreds of mobile home parks during that time he is currently ranked with his partner dave reynolds as the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the us with around 20000 lots spread out over 25 states along the way frank began writing about the industry and his books coupled with those of his partner dave reynolds evolved into a course and boot camp on mobile home park investing that has become the leader in this niche of commercial real estate. With that, Frank, would you like to add anything to your background? Well, basically that I started you know, from scratch with just one mobile home park. So uh, it's just been one park at a time now since the mid-90s. And we've grown that one park at a time into about 20,000 lots in about 28 states. So, But it all started off regardless of whether anyone owns a park now or doesn't own a park. I've been there as well because I started off with just one. Good, thank you. And how did you get into real estate and mobile home parks? Okay, well, what happened was I uh, I went to Stanford University, got a degree in economics. I got out of here early. Back then, if you wanted to apply to Stanford Business School or any good business school, an important part of your application was actually starting a business. So I asked various people, what would I start for a year? And they uh, and one person had uh, an original idea that was you should build billboards. So I went out for a year uh, looking for billboard locations. By the end of the year, I had three, but I had several pending. I decided to go another year to wrap those up. And of course, I never went to business school, I just kept building billboards. And within 14 years, I was the largest private owner of billboards in Dallas, Fort Worth. I then sold to a public company and then started buying mobile home parks. So started with just just one and just kept buying one after the other. So that's kind of how I got into it. I got into the billboard business kind of accidentally. And then I got the mobile home park business equally accidentally, uh, just as as something to do after I sold off the billboards. I was intrigued by it because of the scarcity of the zoning. And I was also intrigued buy it because of the unusual seller financing. They, the guy sold it to me for $400,000 with only $10,000 down and he carried 390,000 for 30 years. And so that, that's how I got into it is it was kind of, kind of, I had a hunch it might be a good idea, but at the time I was mostly attracted by the financing. The main reason for choosing mobile home park is financing or well, Any no, that's what reason. got me into it. I mean, it's part of it even today, but I think what attracts me to the business is it's all about buying nice properties that are in terrible condition and bringing them back to life. That's where all the money is. So you're out there buying mobile home parks that have good bones. They're in decent locations, decent density, but have not been well managed for decades. And then you try and apply modern management standards to them, raising the rents to market, filling vacant lots. That's what really attracted me was the opportunity in it. That was the big item. Got it. And so would you share more about your first mobile home park experience, some good things and bad things, challenging experiences? Well, I mean, the best experience you have with mobile home parks is when you uh, first, when you turn them around, so they go from being poorly maintained dumps into being fairly nice places to live, kind of like a miniature subdivision. And the other happy time is when you go to sell them at a huge profit. Between those things, you spend your time trying to attain those things. So always focused on, you know, filling the vacant lots, raising the rents, cutting the costs, uh, improving the property condition. So that's kind of how it works. Your bad times, of course, are typically when you 
first buy the property and it's in very rundown condition, you always have problems with residents who don't want to have a nicer home or nicer yard. They don't want to get rid of their pit bull or all those different items. So you have some resident issues on the front end typically, and you can have some challenges with infrastructure on the front end because a lot of things mom and pop have are are barely alive and they're prone to breaking right after you buy it. But uh, most of it is good times. When you do turnaround deals, typically the first year can be challenging. Got it. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So what are all your target markets, Frank? Well, we have focused uh, its inception on what's called the Great Plains, which is Texas to Canada in a vertical line in the Midwest, which is that collection of states to the right of the Great Plains, starting about the middle of America and up. But we've also bought in areas outside of that footprint, places like Charleston, South Carolina. We're down in a place called Homosassa, Florida. We're in other places. So we're in 28 states, but our core has always been the Great Plains in the Midwest. So really kind of the middle of America. Got it. And what are all the factors you would consider before investing in those states? Well, the key items, there's basically five key drivers to making you buy a mobile home park or not. The first one is the infrastructure, which is such items as the roads and how the water and sewer system is built. Uh, So all those physical attributes of the property, some of which you cannot change because most mobile home parks are grandfathered and you're not allowed to really change like the layout and stuff. Uh, The next one is is density. Uh, That's how many units you have and how close they are together because some mobile home parks back in the 50s and the 60s, the density is so high, it may no longer meet even the uh, fire marshal standards. So that's a big issue. The age of the homes, that's an issue because you want a park that has a range of homes, but not a whole lot that are older than the 80s. The location is obviously key because all of real estate is about location, location, location. And then finally, the economics of the deal. Even if all four of those things are favorable, if it's priced too high, you aren't going to buy it. So those are kind of the five things. Cool. Yeah, thank you. And so what is your process of sourcing these deals? Well, over half of our deals came from real estate brokers, but not just any old broker. It's the group that are defined as mobile home park brokers. So these guys only do mobile home parks. So that's more than half of all the parks we own. Of the remaining half, it's kind of split between online listings from mobile home park store or LoopNet, cold calling and direct mail. So, but if I had to pick one, I would go with brokers. Got it. And would you share about your typical, or not only yours, like any of your students, what are the typical business plans for mobile home park deals? What is the typical terms of a mobile home park deal? Is that what you're asking? Business plans. Oh, okay. Our our typical business plan is to buy something that has a good location, good density, and good infrastructure, but is poorly managed. And then we try and bring that back to life by fixing the infrastructure if we need to, always aesthetically improving it, giving it a nice entry, fixing potholes in the roads, enacting the rules, making people clean up their yards, paint their homes. Typically, that goes hand in hand with raising the rents. And at the same time, we typically will make the residents pay their own water and sewer, make them accountable for that. And then finally, we fill the vacant lot. And when we get the park completely full at full market rents and looking the best it can be, our job is pretty much done. So what is your typical hold period? Our average hold period since 1996 has been roughly seven years. Okay, got it. And how lending works in mobile home park space and what kind of loans are available? Lending design is surprisingly attractive, and that's because mobile home parks have the lowest default rate of any form of real estate. So the options you have is you have seller financing, mainly because the moms and pops own them free and clear normally. Then you have bank financing, which is just your regular old bank. And then you have what's called conduit, which is also known as CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed security debt. Uh, and then ultimately, the top type of the pyramid is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, what is known as agency debt. So those are kind of the four, the four models you have out there. Got it. So if it is like agency debt, so what kind of LTVs you will get? 
Loan to value right now on an agency debt is roughly about a 70% loan to value. Your interest rates are going to run anywhere from 2.8 for the highest quality, largest deals, to probably 3.8 for the uh, smaller, lesser quality. But agency, typically they want to see loans that are $2 million or more. Conduit debt rates are about the same, but they'll do loans that are of a million dollars and more. But under a million dollar loan, you have to either use seller financing or traditional bank debt. Got it. And so what size of properties you're purchasing? Well, that in the world of mobile home parks, it's all about the income, which means it's all about the amount of rent. So for example, uh -huh. if I, I want to have a million dollar mobile home park in Los Angeles, I would only have to have about eight to 10 lots. Uh, in uh, Mississippi, I probably would have to have maybe a hundred lots. So yeah. because their rents are about one tenth that of, of Los Angeles. So the typical, the average rent in America is about $400 a month, three, three to $400 based on what part of America you're looking at. So, uh, you know, the typical size deal we're doing, I would say is probably about 60 to 80 lots where the lots are valued at probably $40,000. So our typical deal, I would estimate to be around $3 million. Got it. And you have vast experience, like three decades. And would you share the factors that contributed to reach fifth largest mobile phone park owner in the U.S.? Oh, okay. So in other words, what 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 are some of the lessons learned in, yeah. in the way we've grown, you're saying? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, well, the first lesson learned is that you need to only deal in deals that you actually can succeed at because there's certain things I can fix about a mobile home park and things I can't fix. I can't fix location. I can't fix density. I can fix infrastructure. I can fix the economics by raising the rents. I can fix the age of homes by demolishing the old ones and bringing in new ones. But you know, I, I see many people out there who don't understand they can't change it all. So if you uh, have a park and it's not in a desirable part of the city, don't buy it because you, you will never be able to cure that problem. So that's one item. Uh, we've also learned that the industry is obviously completely based on debt since everyone buys mobile home parks and apartments or anything with loans. So you want to follow what the lenders like and the lenders in our industry like you to have no park-owned homes and just rent out the land to uh, willing people who pay you monthly land rent. The lenders also don't like, nor do we like, private utilities. So we try and stay with municipal water and municipal sewer. Basically, just it's just being smart and prudent is kind of the key. Uh, the park business has enough opportunity in it. You don't have to do anything magical. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to go out and try properties right on the cutting edge of areas that are kind of transitioning and hoping that they transition your way. Uh, our business, the, almost all the money is made in raising the rents, filling the lots and cutting the cost. And so you don't have to do anything unusual. You don't have to be a pioneer. You just basically want to buy good quality product. Got it. And thanks for sharing that. So you manage your own properties or you had third-party property management company to manage your mobile home bus space? Uh, well, it, in our industry, almost everyone self-manages. There's only one large-scale manager in the industry, and that's called M. Shapiro out of Michigan. But the problem is the rates of M. Shapiro are such that you have to have a property with, which generates about $25,000 a month of revenue to really make sense of the fees based on what I know of their fees. So uh, most everyone in the industry, they, they self-manage. So they buy the park, they run the park. Now, they don't personally manage it on site. They, you always have a manager on site. It takes the average person roughly four four hours a week to manage a park. There's not a lot that goes on in parks. You're basically just renting land, just like renting parking spaces for cars. So you rent the parking space to the mobile homeowner and he parks his mobile home on your space. And all your obligations are basically is making sure the roads don't have any potholes, uh, that it has working water, working sewer, uh, working electricity, access to all those items, a uh, decent common area. And that's about it. Then you just collect the rent. Got it. So what are the common challenges in managing the park? Uh, well, the biggest challenge, of course, is that when you deal 
Typically in that lower third of Americans, as far as uh, amounts they earn of income, they don't have a lot of money to spend. So getting them to maintain their property, that's a challenge. Getting them to pay the rent, that's a challenge. But beyond that, it's, it's not really that challenging because we don't really get involved with what goes on on the lot as long as we meet our minimum rules and regulations we have. So I'm not, I'm not involved on the maintenance of their homes or you know them locking themselves out or breaking the window or whatever the case may be. So we are somewhat distanced from the... Uh, the residents. But the biggest challenge is just working around the fact that you're trying to make them have a presentable looking property and pay the rent when money is always tight. So that's the key. So you have to have very, very strict systems on rent collections and on rules enforcement, because if you don't, then people will not comply and then everything goes down the drain pretty quick. Got it. And so what are the ways of finding the tenants for mobile home park space? Well, you know, in, in our America today, affordable housing is incredibly hot demand because people can't really afford where they live. And then after COVID hit in 2020, we found most people wanted to have a yard and detached housing. So basically our phone rings off the hook. Uh, we have some properties that we sell over 10 homes a month in. We have properties where we get over 100 calls a week on. So finding people for your mobile home park today, that's that's the least of your challenges because they kind of are constantly, even if you don't advertise coming in to the park office looking for a detached place to live that they can afford. Got it. Thank you. And so what is the reason behind starting MHP coaching program, Frank? Well, you know, it's always been a hobby to us back when we got in the business back in the mid nineties, nobody cared about our industry at all. In fact, nobody, no, uh, you would never meet anyone who owned a mobile home park. No one would ever talk about it. And so my partner and I started writing little tiny books and selling them on his website, mobile home park store. And people liked the little books. And then we would write more little books for our own amusement. Over time, we sewed all those books together into our, what's called the home study course. And then by popular request, we started doing uh, live boot camps. but it's always been organic organically grown by what people ask for. So it's always, it's always been a hobby is a hobby today. So, you know, my day job is the fifth largest portfolio in the U S night and high, you know, weekend and nighttime hobby job is the mobile home university. Got it. And would you share any of your best mobile home park investing experience so far? Well, you know, we, we will never know until we sell all of the parks we have, our most profitable ones. Uh, we have sold a couple of them for more than a $10 million profit. We had one that made the media just recently, both on what we paid and what we sold it for, which is a park in Austin called North Lamar, a 68-unit property we bought for roughly $2 million and we sold it for roughly $5.5 to the city of Austin itself, basically. They they funded the purchase of it by a grant to the residents uh, would own their own property. So, you know, we, we have again we've been doing this a long time and we've done hundreds of deals but so there's not really one that stands out among all the all the others is our all-time favorite probably our all-time favorite will end up being one of the ones we haven't sold yet some of the larger ones uh, we own one in indiana that's virtually the size of a city at 750 units so uh it's got probably in the end we'll have probably 2,000 residents so uh so we won't we won't know the final numbers but you know we, we have a lot of good ones that we like a lot Got it. And would you also share any of your bad or challenging mobile home park investing experience? Yeah, all of my bad experiences in mobile home park investing happened in my early parks because I had no idea what I was doing. So uh, my first park, Gledhaven, had uh, master metered electric and master metered gas, which means that the park owns the entire gas system and the power system. They're a terrible idea. They were done sometimes in the 1950s. That park was from 1951. And I and I had both of them go out on me. Uh, the gas went out of me during winter. About a year or so after I bought it, the electricity failed on me several years after that during the summer. That was a 
a horrible experience. Uh, I had a, pa- a park down in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana that, again, I did terrible due diligence on and my resident base was just atrocious and would never pay the rent. So I, I basically patched the thing along and ultimately sold it off for what I'd paid for it and felt lucky to get out from under it. I also had another park in Louisiana that well, I, again, I didn't know what I was doing back then. I bought a park without doing any diligence on the location whatsoever. It turned out no one in the world ever would ever want to live there. The park was just a total nightmare. Got it sold off. So basically most of my early misadventures were, were my own fault because I didn't know what I was doing. I did virtually no due diligence whatsoever. I was just really lucky that my worst parks were not as bad as they turned out to be because I was able to sell all of them off either what I paid for or a small profit. But you know, the key to the business is you, you don't want to buy a mobile home park unless you know what you're doing because you're, you're almost certain to get burned. Right. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And what is your current focus on share something you are excited about now, Frank? Oh, okay. Well, my current forecast is that the mobile home park industry itself is in, uh, in in a good position due to some macro megatrends that were kind of triggered by the COVID uh, crisis. Big one being that a lot of people are moving out of the cities into suburbs and exurbs, and that's where mobile home parks are located at. So we're seeing a lot of new customers that we never had because for the longest time, people were moving from the suburbs into the city. So they've now reversed courses. So that's been huge. Also, because of uh, the pandemic, people started to like outdoor spaces. So that helped our industry because we all we have yards on mobile home, mobile homes, mobile home parks. Probably the other big driver right now is uh, inflation because, you know, I don't know where inflation is going, but it appears to be going up. And of course, when you have high inflation, uh, there are only two things that economically work in high inflation. One are hard assets like gold and silver, and the other is real estate, income producing real estate, particularly. So kind of feeling like we're in the right position for whatever is ahead. I don't know what is ahead, but probably not any good, but uh, we feel like we're pretty well aligned with those megatrends. Cool. Thank you, sir. And let's move on to personal side. So any one advice that impacted you, Frank? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, uh, a studier of all things. I read lots of books. I buy lots of books at estate sales, garage sales. So I read books probably from the mid-19th century to current, typically uh, business books, but also biographies of warfare. Uh, so I, I have millions of little uh, mantras that I go around with to remind myself of basic uh, items. But the uh, the biggest one I have, I've had a little plaque on my desk or my wall since 1982, which simply says, time kills deals which means that everyone in the world of real estate is always working under a sense of urgency. And if you don't get the deal tied up as quickly as you can, someone will steal it from you. And so I seem to always, uh, you know, be busily working on something because I'm always obsessed with the fact that if I don't get something done today, someone will beat me to it. So that's been like a big driver to me as I always try. The minute I see something that I think would be a good deal, I'm, I'm immediately trying to put it under contract. If I can meet with a seller today as opposed to tomorrow, I'm opt for today because I know that, you know, the way it works is uh, just one day later and someone calls them that night and you might lose the deal. So that's a, that's a big one for me. But the other thing I always am watching for is quality of life because, you know, money is of no value if you have bad quality of life. So uh, one of the benefits of mobile home park ownership for me has been being able to be the master of my own time. So I was able to go to all of my doctor, my, all my daughter's uh, sports games in high school and all of her events. And so that's been super important important to me. And that's, to me, that's, to, that, that is more priceless than whatever money you make is being able to do what you want with your own time and then having high quality of life doing what you want to do. So that's, those, those are probably my two, two biggest personal uh, items of, of thoughts. Got it. Thank you. And any one book that impacted your life and what way? 
Well, yeah, the book impacted my life. Sadly, I've told so many people about the book, I've ruined the ability to buy the book. And it's a book written by Conrad Hilton, and it's called The Man Who Bought the Waldorf. I was walking down a street, very dejected, in 1988 during the Texas Savings and Loan Crash. I had a lot of billboards I had built. Uh, the market had been very strong, and overnight, uh, Texas, the entire economy had, had collapsed. Every building in downtown Dallas was foreclosed on. I had advertisers declaring bankruptcy everywhere, and it looked very, very bleak. So I was walking down the street in Fort Worth, Texas, and I went into a used bookstore, and lo and behold, on their sale table was a book called The Man Who Bought the Waldorf. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's the first book I'm seeing. It looks like an interesting title. It's an old book. I think I'll buy it. So I bought the book, went back to the hotel, read the book, was very intrigued by the book, read the entire book in uh, basically in uh, two nights. And it was a story of Hilton. And I did not know that Hilton, you know, had was actually a rags to riches story in a couple different aspects because he he developed the Hilton hotel chain in the 1920s and then he lost it during the Great Depression. So the bulk of the book is about how he got it back. And in the book, what happens was he realizes that even though it's the depression and even though he's lost everything, that it's a good time to buy because he realizes that these buildings that he had built for millions of dollars in the 1920s were now only valued at hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he hatched a plan that he would stay liquid in the industry. So he acted as a manager. In fact, he got the uh, banks that foreclosed on him to allow him to manage the properties. And when he saw the economy was turning in the 19, late, late 30s, early 40s, he started buying his own properties back for a penny on the dollar of what he'd paid originally. So I, it suddenly dawned on me that this Texas savings and loan crash could be a good thing for me. That even though uh, the economy was terrible, that it would be awful that I could maybe buy things cheap. And so I started then going on a rampage of buying foreclosed on billboards at insanely low prices, prices I never thought were possible. I was buying signs that had cost $40,000 to build from banks and in, in repossession for like $1,000. And I was able to double the size of my portfolio during that period. So I always credited the book to giving me that great thought. And I've told so many people about the book over the years that, that you can't buy the book. The book is no longer in print. And the last time I looked on a rare bookstore, the only known copy for sale was $10,000. I'm not kidding you. If you go try and see if you can find <laughs> a copy of it. So, you know, and it's sad that, that no one can reprint it. The problem is no one can find the rights to the book. So it's forever going to be a, a book that is never printed again. But I, I find that book to be very inspirational. But I read lots of books. I mean, I've read hundreds and hundreds of business and warfare biography books. And by far, that one is the best book I've ever read. Thank you, sir. Thanks for sharing that. And how are you giving back to community, Frank? Uh, well, you know, giving back to the community and what, what what we do is an everyday affair because as we're bringing these old properties back to life, we're improving the quality of life of all of the residents. So every single property we own, if you look at the before photos and the after photos, uh, is, is, there's there's a significant difference. So our industry is really kind of a win-win industry because we're buying old broken stuff that people are still living in, even though it's old and broken, and then making it nice again. So, you know, we are in the quality of life business for all of our residents of which we have 20,000 lots. So we probably have roughly 60,000 people uh, that have benefited by us bringing these old communities back to life. So that's 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 the biggest part of our of our give back program is simply that, that we make things that, that could be nice, but are not nice, nice again. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Frank? 
Uh, well, the best right way to find me and all of my writings and all the, all of the things I talk about is if you just go to mobilehomeuniversity.com, also known as mhu.com, that's mobilehomeuniversity.com, you'll find, oh my heavens, 500 hours, I believe, of recorded uh, uh, speeches I've made, and I think literally almost maybe a million words in print. So it's, it's not hard to find. We also have a podcast that comes out every week called uh, Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, which, uh, which you can find. But uh, yeah. The number one place to find all the things I write and say is on mhu.com. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you, Frank. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.